morning. My name is Jay Kim Baibi, and today's scriptures from John 8, 12 to 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk, walk in darkness, but we uh, will have a light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your, your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I'm one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth, put your words in our ears, and plant your words deep into our hearts so that they may bear fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we have grown accustomed to celebrities making audacious claims. I remember a band I used to listen to a lot in the 90s, a band called Oasis. They had some really big popular hits. They were selling out stadiums all over the place. And then they claimed to be bigger than the Beatles. And their lead singer, Liam Gallagher, claimed to be the reincarnation of Lennon. It's a pretty big, bold claim. Politicians make big, bold claims. State leaders... 1994, Kim Jong-il played his first round of golf ever, and he was a natural. According to his scorecard, he shot 38 under par with 11 holes in one. <laughs> it was later claimed that he had invented the burrito in 2011, which I don't know what I was eating in the 90s at Taco Bell, but... <laughs> Al Gore famously claimed to have created the internet... Representative George Santos of New York, I'm not even going to go there, it's just low-hanging fruit. Uh, athletes make some pretty bold, audacious claims as well. My favorite has always been Muhammad Ali. He just said the best things. He said one time, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am, right? But as far as I know, Muhammad Ali was about the only one who ever put his braggadocious talk into rhyme. He wrote one time, I have wrestled with an alligator, I done tussled with a whale, I done handcuffed lightning and thrown thunder in jail. That's bad. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick, I'm so mean I made medicine sick. That's brilliant. And audacious. 
Jesus' claims must have struck his original hearers as audacious claims. Uh, They don't hit us that way anymore because we're used to them. Many of us have heard them our whole life, but they are bold, audacious claims. People thought he was crazy, thought he was possessed by a demon. What is it about Jesus' teaching that makes it so audacious? You're going to hear the word audacious more in the next half hour than you probably have in the last three years, but it wasn't necessarily his ethical teaching. That stopped people in their tracks, for sure. Hearing Jesus say, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, or you must be born again. Those were bold statements, for sure. Controversial, maybe. But really got Jesus in trouble was the claims he made about himself. Those were truly audacious, revolutionary, and had people ready to stone him. What was it about this statement, I am the light of the world, that is so bold? Well, let's spend a few minutes breaking it down. First, he starts with the words, I am. Uh, John's gospel has seven unique I am statements attributed to Jesus. They're unique to John's gospel. I am the bread of heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. Each one of those statements, and there's several others along the way that are constructed slightly differently, begins with the words, I am, ego emi in the Greek. Meant to point us back, I believe, to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is standing before the burning bush, and he has received his commission to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, when I go to your people, and they say, who sent me? Who, who do I say you are? What's your name? And God says, I am that I am. Tell them, I am sent you. So when you see this language of, I am the true light, it's pointing us back to Exodus 3, and it's an implicit, not explicit, but an implicit claim to be the covenant God of Israel. And John chapter 8 is dripping with this I am language. I am the light of the world. Verse 18, I am ego ami, the one who bears witness. Verse 24, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, ego ami. Verse 28, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, you will know that I am. Verse 58 is the One that almost got him stoned before Abraham was, I am. Now, I think we have to be careful not to put too much weight on two words, ego and me, I am. They are used throughout the New Testament in places where there is no strong claim to deity or divinity. Jesus will use those words. Judas uses those words. 
Uh, The blind man in chapter 9 uses those words, as does Peter and Paul elsewhere in the New Testament. But John uses these I am statements to focus us uniquely and powerfully on who Jesus is. Jesus could have said, I bring spiritual nourishment to nourish your souls. But he didn't. He said, I am the bread of heaven. He he could have said, I'll point you to the way. I will proclaim to you the truth. I will give you life. But he didn't. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. In my being, in my essence, you find nourishment. In my being, in my essence, you find the way, the truth, the life. I am the light of the world. I am sets this off as a bold claim. But putting it in its full context is even more so. I am the light of the world. You know, some words or phrases just mean something different depending on where they're spoken, right? Uh, If someone says to you, your pads are looking worn and you're on the football field, you're thinking, okay, my gear is looking worn. That's different than someone saying your pads are worn in the mechanics shop and your brakes are going bad, right? Uh, Getting a snip means something different at the barber shop than it does at the vet or the urologist, right? (laughs) Context matters. Jesus doesn't say these words, I am the light of the world in the countryside or even in the synagogue. He says them in the temple courts and he says them in the context of the feast of booths. Back in John chapter 7, we're told that Jesus went down to the Feast of Booths and he's teaching there. This passage seems disconnected from what's happening in John chapter 7 because of the insertion of that story of the woman caught in adultery, which probably doesn't belong there. The earliest manuscripts of John don't have that story or have it located somewhere else or even have it in the Gospel of Luke. So what Jesus is saying about being the light of the world should, I think, smack right up against what he has been saying earlier in the context of being at the Feast of the Booths. What is the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles? It was one of the three great feasts in Israel's calendar. Uh, It was said that at the time of the Feast of Booths, the population of Jerusalem would grow Uh, by four times its normal size. That many people, Jews from all over Israel and the diaspora, would come back for the Feast of Tabernacles. It was meant to celebrate and to remember how God had provided for them in their wanderings when they were coming out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness living in temporary shelters and God himself was dwelling in a temporary shelter. The Feast of Booths was about that, remembering that. So the people would construct for themselves temporary shelters, sometimes on the roofs, sometimes out in the countryside. And they would live in those temporary shelters for the full week of celebration. This was 
a party kind of feast. It was a great highlight in the life of Israel. Remembering how God had provided for them and been with them. There was two kind of ceremonies associated with the Feast of Booths. The first was a water-drawing ceremony where the priests every morning of this, during this feast would go down to the pool of Shalom and draw water out of the pool, take it back up the steps into the temple and pour it into basins by the altar. It was meant to symbolize the water that came from the rock while they were in the wilderness that God had provided miraculously for them. And it was meant to remember and celebrate that God was continuing to provide water and and, and rain that made the harvest possible. It was a great celebration. The, The Mishnah says that he who has not seen the rejoicing of the place and at the time of the water drawing has not seen rejoicing ever in his life. It was that exuberant. And it was into that context that Jesus says, I will make rivers of living water flow out of you. You're celebrating the one who caused water to flow from a rock? That's me. I'm the one who causes water to flow. The second ceremony was a lamp lighting ceremony that took place in the late afternoon or early evening every day of the Feast of Booths. There was large basins filled with oil on pedestals that were 75 feet tall. And the young men would climb these ladders, 75-foot ladders. That's sketchy, right? And light these torches, these lamps. And there was candles all over the temple uh, quadrant. It was a lamp-lighting ceremony meant, again, to remind the people of the Shekinah glory, the light that led the people of Israel through the wilderness in their wandering years. It was said that during this time, pious and holy men would be dancing with torches in the streets. There would be music of lyres and cymbals and great choirs singing. It was a party. The light could be seen all over Jerusalem from the temple. And because the temple was on a hill, it could be seen for miles away. And it's into that context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Your ceremony points you back to Exodus, to the glory of God that was guiding you. I am that glory. I am the light of the world. God is light, the New Testament tells us in 1 John. God is light in his very nature, in his essence. He is the father of lights. And Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. It is a bold, audacious claim. I am God. God is light. I am light. The early church picked up on this in framing the Nicene Creed. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, we confess, the only begotten Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. It is a bold claim. But notice also that article there, 
Not I am a light. I am the light. Saying I am a man is categorically different than saying I am the man, right? One is a biological claim. The other is a claim to supremacy. Jesus is claiming to be the supreme light. No one, nothing can hold a candle to Jesus' light. By comparison, all other lights are darkness. It is an exclusive claim that permits no rival. John Calvin said that apart from Christ, there is not even a spark of true light that exists in our world. Jesus is saying, I am the light. Outside of me, there is only darkness. I am the light of the world is a bold, audacious statement. How do we respond? In our world, we respond with eye rolls and chuckles, right? When celebrities or politicians. How do we respond to these bold claims by Jesus? Let me offer you three brief words of application, how we ought to respond. First is believe. Believe. These audacious claims are not easy to believe. I don't want to make it simplistic. I'm at the point of life where I look back at my parenting and there's things that I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Um, I was often the dad in the stands that just yelled, hit the ball. Or you got to make that shot. And I would get looks from my kids that was a mix of, shut up, and you come down here and try it, (laughs) old man. I think we often have that attitude, just hit the ball. When it comes to belief, we tell people, well, believe as if it's easy. It's not. We don't do service to anyone by acting like, it's obvious. It's easy. You must be a fool if you don't believe. Belief isn't easy. I would go so far as to say that apart from the work of the Spirit, it's not easy even possible. In my natural self, I'm with the Pharisees. Jesus, you're making some bold claims about yourself. You're testifying about yourself. And Jesus says, yes, I am. After all, I'm an expert witness about myself. I know where I have come from. I know what I'm here to do. I know where I am going. Believe my testimony. I'm an expert witness, but I'm not alone. My father testifies also. He raised up prophets through the centuries, pointing you to me. He sent you John the Baptist. He wasn't the light, but he came to testify to the light. He said of me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He pointed to me and said, there he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
That's my father speaking through him. Believe his testimony. It was at Jesus' baptism that the voice was heard from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God the father testifying to Jesus. At his transfiguration, another instance of a voice from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And supremely, the Father has testified to us about Jesus in the resurrection. That is the vindication of all Jesus' claims. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am God incarnate. I am with you always. And God the Father says, yes. The resurrection is the vindication of Jesus the Father's testimony that all he has said and claimed is true. And God the Father continues to witness to Jesus, to us, the Spirit that proceeds from the Father, inspired Scripture, and illuminates us to believe it and to understand it. So if belief is hard for you, let me encourage you to ask for help. Ask God, help me to believe these bold claims. Spirit, open my eyes and soften my heart so that I can believe. First word is believe. Second word is follow. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Jesus, as the light has come into the darkness to lead us out of it. Jesus, as the light of the world, guides us in a way of living and guides us to a destination. When he says follow, he means follow me in how I live. I will show you how to walk in the light and not in darkness. As those who follow Jesus, we are done living in the shadows. We are done with the deeds of darkness. As Ephesians says, the deeds of darkness, there's a whole list of them in Ephesians 4 and 5. Falsehood, impurity, theft, anger, malice, hatred, it goes on. When we follow Jesus, we walk in the light, we leave behind those deeds of darkness. But even maybe more importantly, is we're following Jesus to the destination that he's leading us to. Follow me. I'll bring you to the destination. Just like the Shekinah glory led the people of Israel to the promised land, Jesus leads us to glory. But... This is so unique to the Christian faith. The way to glory is through the cross. The Shekinah glory led the people of Israel to the promised land through the wilderness. Jesus says, I will take you to glory by way of Golgotha. I will bring you to a crown of glory by way of a cross. I will bring you to life and life everlasting by way of death. 
If you would follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what it means to follow Jesus, the light of the world. It means coming to him and bringing self. It means coming to him and bringing your hopes Coming to him and bringing your dreams. Coming to him and bringing your sense of identity and taking it to the cross and say, crucify these. Let them be dead. Let me be dead to the old way of living, to my old self, to these weak and feeble dreams, to these frail hopes, to this sense of identity that is insecure and give me resurrection life. Give me new dreams that are eternal. Give me a firm hope that is anchored in you, Jesus. Give me a new life that is your life being lived in me. There is no other way. That's how the light guides us to glory. Through the cross. The third word I would leave you with, much shorter. Rejoice. I remind you that Jesus is giving his followers these words, declaring this bold statement in the context of a feast, a festival that was filled with dancing and light and joy and singing. It was a celebration. And what he is saying is what you're celebrating is me. They were pale reflections, dim reflections of me. You're celebrating how God was with you when you came out of Egypt. He is with you in me in a more profound way than you can imagine. You're rejoicing about God's provision. I am God's provision. You're you're celebrating God's glory that led you through the wilderness. I am the radiance of God's glory. You're celebrating the the promise of light. I am that light. You should be celebrating me. I'm worthy. I am the light of the world. As God's people, when we hear these words, I am the light of the world. Our hearts should dance. We live in a dark world. Light has shone. We have seen the light. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you have not left us, that you have not left your world in darkness, but you have sent the light. Father, we pray that you would shape our hearts so that we can celebrate that light that you would shape our lives to reflect that light, for you did say we are the light of the world. We are sons and daughters of light. Father, we pray that we would reflect that, that Christ living in us would shine through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.